Uh, good evening to you all. It's good to uh, be with you again. Uh, I've been up in Elgin enjoying the weather there, and I'm back to Aberdeen just shortly, and I'll be returning soon. But tonight we're going to be continuing your uh, study through the letter to Titus. So if you do have a Bible with you, uh, if you could open it to Titus, and it's chapter 3. Oh, here we are. And we're going to be looking at the first eight verses. Um, so I understand you'll be going through this letter, this letter written by Paul, uh, the apostle, to his faithful friend and uh, fellow worker in the gospel, uh, Titus. And uh, he's been placed out here on the, the island of Crete, uh, out in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, to help establish this new church. Uh, it's a church in its infancy. It's uh, not long been going on. Uh, and it's uh, where Titus has been placed. And so the, the things that are being addressed in this letter are matters sort of pertaining to fundamental uh, things for churches. It's uh, a letter full of principles, uh, things of uh, paramount importance for a church. Uh, and as you've been going through, I think you've, you've looked at uh, the uh, sort of the appointment of elders, how, how one goes about that. You've been looking at the uh, teaching of, of sound doctrine. Uh, you've been looking also at the sort of dynamic of a church family, how that's to be uh, set up and operated. And then as we come here to chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the walk, uh, if you like, of the Christian towards outsiders, their conduct, their good works. Um, and if you recall from last week, that idea was, was touched on a little bit when we were considering uh, adorning the gospel with good work. And Kevin was speaking about that, and he gave us a nice analogy, a nice image to think about. He said that uh, the adorning the gospel with good works is like a tree with uh, beautiful lights arrayed around it. And so if you like this evening, what we're going to be doing is looking at those individual lights and considering practically what it is to be living, what it, what it looks like to live out these good works, what, it, what these good works look like, what they are. And then further to that, how we go about doing that, how, how does that work out in our lives, and, and why do we do that? And that's how I've kind of split up our passage. And the first two verses, we'll be looking at those good works in verses 1 to 2. And then in the, verses, the following verses, 3 down to 8, looking at the good work uh, that plays out in our lives that answers the question of how and why we go about verses 1 and 2. So with that in mind, let's read our passage this evening. Uh, Titus, it's chapter 3 in verse 1 through to 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So, firstly, let us consider then those good works. Verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and so forth. You know, these, these uh, first two verses are very easy to read. They don't take up much time. 
but if only it, it, it stopped there. Unfortunately, uh, it doesn't. And the Bible and the words that are in it aren't just meant to be read, but to be lived. Um, and that is an entirely different matter uh, altogether. Uh, it's a challenge, I think, when we read these verses and consider, well, how are we meant to live this out in our life? It's really, it's quite a high calling. It's a high standard that we're being called to here. I remember uh, growing up and going to school, and often uh, my friends would say to me sometimes, uh, if I was to do something uh, that wasn't maybe very good, they'd say, that wasn't very Christian of you. Uh, this is a phrase thrown around a lot, and I hated it. It's so annoying. Um, but it is true that we as Christians ought to be held to a higher standard. Um, there is a, a sense in which um, this way of living, uh, we know we ought to be living in, into a different way, and so does the culture uh, and the people around us. Um, and furthermore to this, uh, just as we begin, it, we read in verse 1, it says, remind them. These things aren't new. They're not new to us, and they weren't new to the people in Crete. Um, we, we're aware that we're meant to be living in a, in a way that's distinct from others. Um, but yet, uh, the challenge is still faced, and we still struggle. Um, and so we're going to be looking at what we need to be reminded of uh, as we go through these first two verses. And I've kind of uh, organized them into three categories to help us remember them a bit easier. And, and that is that we've got our, our first category will be uh, obedience, and then we'll be looking at readiness, and then we'll be looking at uh, courtesy. So those are our three reminders uh, for us as we work through our first two verses. So the first one, obedience. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. There's a word there, authorities, the bane of every teenager, and still some of us today. It's not something that I'm particularly very good at uh, getting along with. Um, if you need proof of that, you may only need to ask my parents or check my driving license. I'm not the best when it comes to this. But yet it's a challenge to us all and one that we really need to consider seriously. We're to be submissive to rulers and authorities. That's our call as Christians. And some of you, and I know, I know some of you may be, because I, I have this in my own heart, will raise an objection immediately and will think, well, hang on a minute. What if these rulers and authorities tell us to do something that God tells us not to do? What if they, they can conflict? You know, if God says do this and the ruler and authority says do that, who do, we, who do we side with? Of course, the answer comes back, well, we side with God. We obey and, and, and uh, submit to God first above all, always. But that's the exception to the rule, not, not the rule itself. Um, the, the overwhelming uh, message of the New Testament, and indeed this letter, is that we are to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Um, it's not something that we uh, should uh, take lightly, and often that exception to the rule is maybe taken a bit too far, um, and we apply it to areas of life that we shouldn't. Um, but we're to be obedient. We're to be, just be, be, we're to be submissive. So that means the little things, like following the rules of the road, you know, abiding the speed limit. Uh, um, it means things like paying our taxes, filling out all the forms that the government asks us to fill out. Um, and it means that no matter which government is in power. If we consider our context in this letter, this has been written to uh, people on the island of Crete in the Roman Empire. Uh, now, at that time, the emperor is Nero. And if you don't know who Nero is, you, you need to do a quick Google search and find he wasn't very fond of Christians, to put it lightly. He didn't like them very much. And yet, what does it say here? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. 
And so if, if that's the context this has been written into, we don't have much of an excuse. Um, we live in a, in a society that, on, for the most part, widely tolerates Christians. And I imagine most of us traveled here un, uh, unhindered uh, tonight. Um, and so that's our kind of our first reminder, our first challenge to us. Um, you know, if only the Cretans had to worry about following the speed limit, you know. Um, and again, as I said, it's not just the ones we like. You know, rebellion, revolt, uh, revolution, it's not part of the Christian's repertoire. It's not what we're called to be like. Uh, we're called to be obedient. Um, so that's our first uh, reminder. Obedience. Are we obedient? Secondly, we move on and think about readiness. Uh, it says here in uh, the start of end of verse 1, uh, to be ready for every good work. Now, if you will, will for a minute, imagine with me an athlete as he's standing or getting ready on the, the, the starting line at, at a race. He's taking his mark, uh, and he's waiting for the gun to fire, and, and he'll be off like a shot. Uh, this athlete, well, he's, he's ready. He's prepared. You know, you won't find uh, a rope tied around his waist attached to a pile of weights behind him. You won't find a blindfold on his eyes, earplugs in his ears, uh, or, he, or either you won't find him turning to the left or to the right to speak to his competitor. No, he's ready. He's, he's, he's ready for that gun. And so likewise, for us as Christians, we ought to be ready ready when a good work arrives, ready to serve our neighbor, to love them as we ought to love ourselves, to ready, ready to love God. Uh, and what is it that would hinder us? What, is, what are those weights? What are those blindfolds, the earplugs? Well, really, it's, it's sin in our lives, simply. Uh, if you skip forward to verse 3, you'll see a list of things that are kind of, they're basically the mirror opposite of verse 1 and 2, and the mirror opposite of being ready to, for every good work is uh, the bit where it says being led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. That's the kind of opposite picture we get. And so if we're to be ready, we're to lay aside everything that might hinder us. Anything that would enslave us, anything that would, uh, any vice, any, anything that would cause us to be uh, unprepared or, un, or not ready when that gun goes. Um, it's, a, it's a challenge for us, but the the living of good works and the doing of good works requires also the setting off or the casting off of bad works. You know, to bear fruit, you need to prune the garden. Weeds choke the fruit. Um, and so that's our kind of second idea, our second reminder for us. We've, we've been reminded we need to be obedient as Christians and we need to be ready uh, for good works. Um, and then thirdly, you know, we come to this idea of courtesy. And it says here, uh, that we are to be uh, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, uh, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient. Oh, I've moved into the next verse there accidentally. But yeah, we're we're to be uh, courteous. Now that word maybe seems a little bit uh, out of place today. It's maybe in your minds you maybe associate it with more of a, a 19th or 18th century gentleman. Um, but the idea remains, we're to be courteous, we're to be polite, humble, uh, kind, generous, gentle. Uh, and what is more, and this is the, the key thing, I think, in this, in this, in this sort of few, few lines here, in this verse 2, is that it we're to speak evil of no one. We're to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Um, it's not just that we're meant to be kind and gracious towards the people we like. If that was, if that was it, that's no hard calling at all. You know, it's easy to like people you like. 
Um, it's a much harder thing indeed to do these things and be courteous towards people who don't like you very much at all. Um, people who may want to persecute you or harm you. But I think this is the calling that we've been given. This is our, one of our reminders, one of our good works as Christians that we're meant to exemplify and live out. That we're meant to have this attitude of kindness and gentleness, to speak evil of no one to all people. You know, when the gossip is happening in work or in the school places, um, we don't take part. Even when it's the gossip about the person we don't like or who very much annoys us. Um, you know, when that person is being angry or cruel or quarreling with us, we don't respond in like. Uh, we're to be gentle and kind. We're to be peacemakers. Um, we're to, to do this towards all people. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult thing entirely. And again, considering our context, you know, I don't feel like Christ, Christians in the first century weren't too far from being persecuted. You read letters between Roman governors of how they might catch these Christians in the act and then send them to the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. And yet here, we're, we're being told to be courteous towards everyone, speaking evil of no one. Um, it should be that when you are walking down the street or you spend conversation with someone for five minutes or so, that they come away thinking, that person was just different. That person was extraordinarily kind. They never said a bad thing about anyone. You know? They, they, they were courteous in every regard. Um, people should notice these things. And really, as we consider this, I want to stress uh, the difficulty and challenge of it. It's not either that we are just going to be good actors, and that we bite our tongue when we have that desire to say something nasty or that we uh, put on a good show for people. But these things are to be sort of uh, in our hearts, coming out from our hearts. I mean, for what is evil comes out through the mouth. Um, it's a real challenge for us. It's not something that we just do by lip service. Um, because if, if we go away here tonight thinking this is something we can achieve on our own steam, um, then we're going to be uh, missing the point. Either I think we'd become burnt out or we'd become conceited um, if that's all we take away. It is true for us as Christians, for those of us who are Christians, that we need to be reminded to engage in these good works. But how we do that and why we do that it remains to be answered. And we'll look at that now as we consider our second half of our passage. Uh, it's a bit of a larger half, but it's the second half with regards to how much time we're going to spend on it. And it's verses 3 all the way down to uh, verse 8. Um, so let's, let's consider. Let's consider verse 3 to 8. I'll read it once through uh, just to help us refresh in it. Uh, for, we ourselves, uh, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who, believe, those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So where does Paul start in his answer for us? Verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and so forth. Uh, in other words, we were once sinners. 
It's not that uh, we start in verse 1 and 2. We don't start with these good qualities and just try and work at them harder. Um, you know, that's not, that's not how we go about this at all. That's, that's one of the things, that's not, that's definitely not the answer to the question of how. For we are, we were all once like this, verse 3, sinners, following uh, various passions and pleasures. But, verse 4, it continues, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. In other words, when the embodiment of verse 1 and 2 appeared, uh, he saved us, verse 5. Uh, and it was not according to our own works, we see that. Not because of our works, not because of works done by us in righteousness. So that's a question, that's, that's to answer what it isn't for the why. Uh, it's not that we uh, do these things for salvation. These things in verse 1, these good works, don't save us. Um, it, is, it is not at all how it works. No, rather, he saved us. Uh, Christ, that is, God our Savior, Jesus Christ, he saved us according to his mercy. Um, and so then, how and why? Well, if it's not that we just need to work at these things more or harder, um, and that it's not that uh, we're doing this to, in order to save ourselves, then what is it? Well, let's consider uh, those verses from 5 down to about 8, and we'll pick out a few ideas, and then we'll bring them all together and consider them as a whole. So the first thing I want us to consider, I want us to remember is found in there, verse 5. It says that he saved us according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration. This is our first idea. Um, The word regeneration here, it's talking about a new birth, a new person. You see that? We've been uh, regenerated. We've been made new. Though we once were like the people or like the person in verse 3, we now no longer are there. Um... We've been born again for those of us who have put their trust in Christ. Though once we were dead, though once we were slaves, we've now got new life. We've got a new life, a new person, a new self. Um, We've been freed from the sin and the slavery to do good, to do the things of verse 1 and 2. A good work has begun in us because of the the, the salvation born out out for us on the cross. This is the beginning we have been made new. We have been born again. We have a new self. So the good work is starting us. We've been, we've been washed, uh, or we've been, uh, by the washing of regeneration, this good work has begun. But we still do struggle uh, with verse 1 and 2, despite that. So yes, we've been given a new self, but then what, how, how, does, that, how does that then play out? Because we still struggle. We're still all here, not fulfilling verse 1 and 2 completely. But it continues. It says, By the washing of regeneration and renewal, of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So it's not only that we have a new self, it's our first thing, but that we now have a new spirit. You see? Our, our drive, our motive, our heart has been changed. That spirit of evilness, that spirit that desired to do wrong, is being replaced or has been replaced with a now spirit with a desire to do good, a desire to honor God, It is the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who now dwells in us as Christians. This means that when we're considering about how we might do these good works, how we might live it out, how this good work might continue in our lives, it's not, as we've said, that we bear down and try harder, but we can turn to God who's working these things out in us. Um, It is the Holy Spirit who's dwelling in us and who's working these things out. You know, in Philippians it says, work out your faith with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Uh, 
you know, so when we face this insurmountable task, seemingly, of, of the challenge of, of good works in verses 1 and 2, we needn't look at it and think, uh, how about, how am I going to do this on my own strength? How am I going to climb this, this mountain on my own? Because we can turn to, to God. We can turn to that one who has uh, the perfect embodiment of these things to make us new, to bring these things about, to shape and fashion us into the likeness of his son, who is the embodiment of verse 1 and 2. Um, and so that's our kind of second thing I want us to bear in mind as we consider these questions about how and why we go about it. One, we have a new self, and two, we have a new spirit. And then thirdly, uh, we come to the third point in verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In other words, we're looking there, I think, at the idea of the completion of this good work. The good work has begun in our new birth. The good work is continued through the Holy Spirit who works in us. And the good work then is completed, uh, will be completed uh, in the new age to come. We have this uh, new status. We have a new self, a new spirit, and now a new status. We're now heirs. You know, we who once were far off, we who once were dead, are now considered heirs. That means that we enjoy and share in all the inheritances that Christ shall uh, though uh, he died and was raised to life, and though we may die if we're joined with Christ, then we shall too also rise from the dead. We have this promise to look forward to. We have this new stat- status before our God. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something really that we should marvel at and be amazed by, that we who once were stuck in the mire in the dirt of sin, we who once were wanting nothing but our own pleasure and our own desires... You know, God saved us from that and set us as sons. Uh, we, I think it's hard not to think of the prodigal son in this scenario. You know, that, that one who, who, who left with his uh, father's money and went and wasted it. He was uh, in the, the mire of the pigsty. And he thought to himself, after wasting everything he had and being in, a, in the downtrodden position he was, he thought, well, I'll go back to my father and I can be a servant in his house. I can, I can serve him there. And he went back... And it wasn't that he was accepted and put into labor and given a job, but rather he was brought in as a son. A ring was placed on his finger and a, and a coat on his back. And that's the amazing transformation that has gone on in, in us. This new status has been brought about um, through the work that Christ has done on the cross. And so then, if we're considering how and why we go about living out these good works, we need only look to these three things. Uh, or at least from our passage, we need to only look to these three things. Three things is, it is that we have a new self, a new person, so that uh, we now actually have the propensity to do good and are able to serve God because our old self has been done away with, and we have a new self. And then secondly, we have a new spirit, so that when we consider the, the task and the challenge before us of how we might uh, live obedient, ready, courteous lives to all people, we can look to God. We can turn to him in prayer. We can ask for help, uh, and he will give it. We can look to the one who embodies these things uh, and ask that, you, that he would help us, that he would work out these things in our lives. Uh, we sung a kind of an idea of that, just, before, just the song before I came up. Uh, Holy Spirit, Spirit dwell in me. And then also we have then this new status. So when we're considering kind of why we're doing this and who for We need only look to Christ who has sacrificed and laid everything down. We can look at him who has won us this new status. 
And I think that's really the, the, the center maybe of this entire passage is that we can look to Christ, the embodiment of these, these things, who has made us heirs. You know, if we look, go back and consider all those uh, reminders that we looked at at the beginning, you know, the remind, reminder to be uh, submissive, the reminder to be uh, obedient, rather, the reminder to be uh, ready and to be courteous. Christ did all of those things in a most perfect way. If we're struggling, for examples, or ideas about how we should live those things out, we need to look to Christ. Um, you know, we think about how he lived that perfect life. Uh, he spoke evil of no one. Even when he was mocked and beaten, he, he said not a bad word against them. Uh, when he came to uh, death, he was, not only was he ready, but he was obedient and submitted to death, to die for us. Um, we have that as a beautiful image to spur us on as well. And so those are kind of our three things there. New self, new spirit, new status for the how and the why. And then we finally we come to verse 8, just to kind of finish us up. Uh, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Just as a, an extra thing there at the end, not only are these things good and right because we're honoring and, and loving our God and he's working these things out in us, but they're good for people. It's right to do these things. You know, it's excellent and profitable. Um, and these things are essential. They're important. And this is why Paul again asks Timothy, or not Timothy rather, Titus, to insist on these things. Uh, and so we read these words there in verse 8. And when we reflect back on what we've considered, our reminder to be obedient, to be ready, and, and to be uh, courteous. And with that, with, we look at those things in the light of our new self, our new uh, spirit, and our new status, so that we might be careful to devote ourselves to these things. Um, it's a challenge for us, as, as, I've, as I've kept on mentioning. It's a difficulty, uh, but we must turn to God for our help in these areas of life. Uh, and furthermore, in all of this, we can turn to Christ, who's the perfect embodiment of it all. Um, so I think that's Titus chapter 3, 1 to 8. Hopefully it's been a challenge to you, as it has been for me, and hopefully of some encouragement. You know, remember your new self. For those of us who are in Christ, we have a new self, we have a new person, a good work that's been played out in our lives, uh, the Spirit of God who dwells in us, and we're heirs heirs of eternal uh, eternal hope. So with that in mind, I think we'll, we'll close, at least I'll close in prayer, and then I'll hand back to Duncan for our final hymn. Dear Lord, uh, we come before you as people um, who struggle through life, but Lord, we ask that you would help us to labor on and to uh, do these good works here spoken about in Titus that we would be the embodiment of Christ in every respect, that we would show uh, perfect courtesy towards all people, that we would be model citizens, upstanding in every regard. Help us in these things. Help us to work these things out in our own lives, but knowing that it is you who works in us, um, that you have made us new, that you have given us a new direction, a new heart, uh, that you have uh, set in us your spirit who helps us and guides us and strengthens us, that we might run and not grow weary. Pray, Lord, that we also then cherish the thought that we have a new status before you, that we are now heirs, 
uh, according to the hope of eternal life, and that this would spur us on further to live for you uh, and to honor you, uh, so that we might be devoting ourselves to good works, for these things are good and profitable for all people. So Lord, we, ha- we ask for help in this area uh, as we go into our week, that we would be reminding ourselves of these things, and then we would be cherishing the thought uh, that we are now heirs uh, according to the hope of eternal life. So we give you thanks for these things in Christ's name. Amen.